Hello and welcome to Dear Franny, the podcast of uncommon conversations about love. I'm your host, Francesca Hoagie. Hello. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that wherever you are, you are keeping safe and healthy and you are taking care of yourself to the best that you can at this crazy time. It's every day I wake up and I'm like, wow, this is still happening. That this is still, this is real. So I think that I'm still in the phase where the shock is still wearing off. And I don't know, maybe you're there too. Maybe you can relate to that. And maybe you have done a better job of adjusting more quickly to this new normal. But um, wherever you are in this process, and especially if you are dealing with, you know, feeling very isolated, if you're dealing with the loss of your income, I know personally a lot of people who are who have already lost their source of income um, whether it's their business or their jobs have gone away overnight and other people who are concerned about that happening and that's real I don't have any easy answer obviously but I just want you to know that I am sending you love and I appreciate that in the midst of all this craziness you are still taking the time to listen to my podcast very grateful I have a great interview today with Holly Martin and um Hopefully this will be a nice distraction from some of the coronavirus, COVID-19 craziness that we're all dealing with. Holly and I, we recorded this interview back at the end of February, which wasn't that long ago, but it feels like a lifetime ago. So much has changed. The night before we recorded this interview, we met up for drinks. I mean, you know, it was normal, normal life back then. So even though it was a while ago, I'm excited to release this interview now because I think, like I said, the distraction is needed. And Holly wrote a book called Would It Kill You to Put on Some Lipstick? And this book is a memoir slash manual. And it is about Holly's journey from being a twice divorced single mom who decided that she was going to go on 100 dates, 100 dates in one year. And I'm going to let Holly tell you about the uh, inspiration for that challenge for herself. And um, But she just set out to say, you know, could I find a nice boyfriend if I went on 100 dates in a year? And her book is a very hilarious account of what happened and the lessons that she learned. And even though this is about dating and this is about going out on dates, which is not something that you're really doing right now, though virtual dating is a real thing. It is about starting over and it is about, you know, finding a new way to be in the world. And that is what we are all dealing with right now. So a little bit about Holly. She is a graduate of Columbia University. She holds a Master of Fine Arts in Creative Writing from Queens University of Charlotte in North Carolina. And she divides her time between homes in Connecticut and California with her daughter and her dog. And she is lovely and she is funny and this memoir and this interview is very candid and very entertaining so I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Holly Martin. Holly Martin welcome to Dear Franny thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. I'm really happy to be talking to you. So I am so intrigued by the concept behind your book. So 100 dates in one year. That was your goal. How did that come to be? Well, it wasn't quite the goal. The goal was, or the idea to test was, could I find a nice boyfriend in a hundred dates or less? And it was based on a quote that I had read um, that Joan Rivers had given to a, a woman, a young widow who was bereaved and sad about losing the love of her life. And Joan Rivers looked at this woman and said, would it kill you to put on some lipstick 
set up an online account, go on a hundred dates and you'll meet somebody. And I thought about that and I thought, could it really be that simple? You know, and, and I wanted to test the idea. Could I find love again? Could I find one nice boyfriend in a hundred dates or less? That was the impetus for the book. Yeah. And so at that point, were you already dating? So you had gone through a divorce. My second divorce. Yes. Okay. And so when you came upon this advice and, you know, rest in peace, Joan Rivers, <laughs> when you came across this advice, were you like, was that something that sparked you to start dating or had you already tried and felt like, oh, this is hard. I don't know how to do this anymore. Well, I had already started dating somebody. I'd date, we'd, I guess we dated for about a year, year and a half. And, it, and that had fallen apart as well. And I really had never dated much in my entire life. I was in my mid-40s. I settled down. I had two 10-year relationships, both which had led to marriage. And I never really dated. And I realized that I really didn't know what I was doing. How well, Were you already online before? No. I had not done online dating at that point, and I was terrified to try it. And I was, you know, I was really in a frame of mind that I never thought this was ever going to happen to me. I never thought I was going to have to date again. I was a mother. I was married. And, you know, our society really treats marriage and motherhood. It's a pure thing. It's sort of sanctioned. There's something about going out and putting yourself back on the market that felt a little bit shameful to me, honestly, in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because it meant what? What was the association for you to be dating again? Well, I think society is pretty suspicious of single women in a way and unpartnered women. I had embedded some of those assumptions as well. Um, I had a lot of lessons to learn about the work I needed to do within myself to get more comfortable with where I had landed in life. And I eventually came to see that there's absolutely nothing wrong with changing your life, starting over at any point in your life. And there's, there's actually a, it's a huge act of bravery to put yourself out there to lead with an open heart and let new people into your life. So I came to see that it was actually a really wonderful adventure that I was on, even though at times it was extremely difficult. You shared with me offline for those who are like, wait, did I miss something? Um, (laughs) (laughs) You shared with me a couple of experiences that you had that, you know, speaking about this idea of how society views single women or unpartnered women that were so crazy to me, but please, I'd love for you to share those stories again. Well, at least twice, two occasions, I have been out by myself eating dinner at a restaurant, and I've been asked if I might be a prostitute. That the assumption was that sitting alone by myself, that I was looking for something, and I was, yeah, it was absolutely flabbergasting to me. The last time that that happened, I was actually in uh, in California in a very nice, you know, community, a place that I had gone to on and off for 15 years, and I was approached by the bartender asking if I was a prostitute. I just... That is just so outrageous to me. I just cannot even, (laughs) I can't even believe the nerve. And the bartender was a woman, correct? Yes. And it, you know, I got me thinking even more about how women out in the world 
alone, unpartnered, uncoupled, how we're viewed. I think people don't really give us a second thought to a man being out in the world. We're really uncomfortable with unaccompanied women and single people in general, I think. I think that people feel, sometimes feel uncomfortable about single, well, single people, yes, but definitely single women. But I guess, first of all, what did you say to that bartender? Remind me what you said when she asked you that. You know, honestly, at that moment, I was really flabbergasted and I just sort of was in disbelief and I didn't really react at them at the time. And I went home and I thought about it for a couple of days and I started to get angry. And I went back to the restaurant and I asked to speak to the manager and actually he got bartender on the phone. She wasn't working that night. It was kind of an embarrassing difficult situation and she was yeah why did you have to be on the phone for that no no and then she said oh it wasn't the restaurant manager that was asking if you were a prostitute it was one of our customers (laughs) which is completely irrelevant (laughs) oh my goodness but you know i don't know what we do to turn this idea around i hope that my book a little bit shifts the cultural perception of a woman's right to live as she chooses and talk to who she wants to talk to and eat where she wants to eat and travel. And it's nothing to be ashamed of. You know, it's something to be celebrated. We can't control if we find our great love of life, but we can control whether we pursue our passions. You know, I can't guarantee. Would I like to have somebody by my side sharing some of these experiences? I would. But until I find that person, I'm going to keep living. Yeah. Okay. Well, so much to talk about, but let's get back to the book for a moment. Okay. So you decide, can I find a nice boyfriend in a hundred dates or less? Mm-hmm. Right. So the first thing you did was get that online dating account set up. Yeah. And I also told myself that because I was divorced, whenever my daughter was with her dad, I would not eat a meal alone. So I would, I would force myself to leave the house. I told myself that I was going to make my social life a priority and I was going to get those dates through, you know, apps and online. I was going to put the word out to friends and acquaintances that if they want to set me up with somebody, I'm open to it. And then the third way was I was just going to get out there and live my life and go to restaurants and have a meal and talk to somebody if they talk to me and see what happens. And it ended up working out far more incredibly than I would have expected. It brought so many new people into my life, not just potential people to date, but I made wonderful female friends and it just made a whole new, a new community in the process of writing this book. I love that. First of all, just the proactivity of like, okay, I'm going to get online. I'm going to expand my social circle. I'm going to ask for setups. Like just being that determined. I love that you were that focused and really that vulnerable because that's very vulnerable for you to not only go online because that in and of itself is an act of vulnerability, but also Mm -hmm. to do all these other things and put yourself out there in that way. I wonder, when did you decide to write a book about this experience? Well, it was in 2014 when I started. And then, you know, so it was about from 2014 to 2015 was when the events in the book took place. And then it it took me a few years to craft the story and and get published. And getting published was its own journey. But I'm, I'm finally here. 
Yeah. Yes. And you've got like a big book launch and all of that's very exciting. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Very awesome. So how many dates did you wind up going on? And I mean, I don't, is it too much of a spoiler to talk about whether or not you succeeded in your goal? You know, I did not quite get to a hundred, but I did get close to that number. And at the end, do you know the exact number? I want to say it's 92. 92. Okay. Maybe somewhere in the nineties. This was 92 dates, like not 92 different, not 92 men. So in the end I ended up becoming involved. It's really in sort of three relationships. And the last one I did meet a lovely guy who became my boyfriend. And if I went out on a multiple dates with the same guy, or even if I went away for a weekend, that would be like three dates. So it was not a hundred men. It's each date is its own story in the book. Okay. Okay. I was going to, I mean, that's still a lot, obviously, but um, I've heard somebody ask the question before, and I, I think I've asked this a few of a few of my clients because oftentimes when people are hoping to meet someone, they're very impatient and they, you know, the idea that, okay, I, it might take a hundred dates is something that I think even to have that perspective and that level of patience about it is very, you know, it's pretty unusual. I think that most people would say like, oh my God, I have to go on a hundred dates. Like, forget it. It's too hard. I mean, I always say like, isn't it worth it? What do you mean? Like, you'd be like, okay, I got to go on a hundred dates. Like, I'm like you, I get it. Like, did you say, okay, a hundred dates, but in your mind, were you thinking like, okay, I'll like go out with a few guys and I'm sure I'll meet someone nice or, you know, how optimistic or... I was incredibly optimistic. And I think what should give people hope is that I started to see... Because, and again, I was behind the learning curve because I was in my 40s and I'd never really dated. So I was really starting from ground zero. So the good news is, is that you get better at dating and you learn certain things and you start to understand the signals in the beginning. Um, You start to learn what the red flags are. You start to get strong within yourself to pay attention to what people are telling you and The good news is eventually you get better at it. You get better at pre-screening. You start to understand sooner (laughs) in the beginning whether this person is going to work out or not. You are speaking my language. (laughs) Dating is such an important process. And I think for you to have that self-awareness to know, like, I don't know how to date. I've never really done this before. And I, I need some practice at this is just awesome. And I had a similar experience. I mean, I wasn't married and divorced and I didn't have a kid. I so it was a different stage of life. But you know, when I was in my twenties, I realized like I don't know how to do this. Like I don't yeah. know what I'm doing. And luckily, instead of feeling like it's hopeless, I decided like, okay, I gotta figure this out. This is something that I want to figure out. So now that you are such an experienced dater, do you feel like you're a dating expert? Like do you think that you I mean obviously you wrote a book about your experience and it has a lot of advice in it, but are you now the person who people in your life are coming to and they're like, Holly, like, help me. How do I do this? How do I do yes. that? Or this yes. happened? And like, what does this text message mean? <laughs> I, you know, I have, I've been getting a lot of people approaching me on that. I probably even more than talking about dating is it's been friends and acquaintances, people I meet who are in marriages, women who are afraid to leave thinking, contemplating a divorce. And I think 
what they want to hear is the truth about the process. And I share with them that, yes, it's going to be really difficult in the beginning, but it's going to be worth it in the long run. And then I show them the light at the end of the tunnel. And I tell them that my divorce at the time, I felt was like the worst thing that had ever happened to me. And I see in hindsight that it was actually the beginning of me becoming the person I was really meant to be. Had I stayed married, I wouldn't be who I am today. Wow, that's beautiful. And you wouldn't be a published author, probably. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Like that was yeah. one of the things that I just kept telling myself as a writer was right into the pain, right into the pain of what I'm feeling. And ironically, it, it brought me probably the best writing I'd, I'd ever done. That's awesome. So then what happened? You go on 92-ish dates and at some point you stop. And why do you stop? Did you stop because you met a really nice boyfriend, as was your goal? Did you stop because it was just time was up or like what, what happened? I stopped because I met a really lovely guy who I wanted to be with. Now, unfortunately, it did not withstand the, the test of time, but we made it a few months and we had some wonderful times together. And then it wasn't just the dating that came out of the book. Another thing that had happened sort of midway through that year was I started to look at the choices that I had made throughout my whole life. And I started to look at my, my childhood. I didn't have the easiest start in life. And one of the men that I was dating, an older, sort of complicated silver fox, you know, emotionally unavailable, but still kind of compelling. He said to me, Holly, your problem is that you never really knew your father. You need to find your father. And that ended up happening. I ended up meeting my father who is in his 80s and I didn't know him growing up and we reconciled and uh, sat across the table from each other and it was that process that I, I started to realize that I was probably making choices you know in the boyfriend department my whole life coming out of this wound of not having had a father and you know our mm -hmm. earliest loves are our parents and, and it sort of imprints us and it really impacts Absolutely. our choices that we make um, when we when we choose a spouse. Yes, absolutely. And even when they're not around, it doesn't matter. It still has just as much of an impact on us. So yeah, wow, that's amazing. So do you think that since you met your dad and, you know, thanks to that silver fox for giving you that, <laughs> that nudge that, you know, clearly, you know, has been really valuable and powerful for you. Do you see a difference now and how you date? Is it, has it changed things? It has, it has because I don't know, I'm stronger and healed. I think there was this sort of, it's difficult to explain, but it was like, there was this hole in my heart. There was this sort of this something there, this achiness, this black hole of need that I was feeling. But I wasn't, I don't think I was even really conscious of it, but somehow now that has healed. And I feel a strength that I never felt before. And I, it's also given me a sense that you know, love can be incredibly beautiful. It can also be painful. But I've also come to realize that loss and pain that might be associated with love is not going to kill you. You know, it's, it's going to hurt for a while if it doesn't work out, but we can go on and it's worth the risk. It's totally worth the risk. That's a really um, important point that you just made because I think in life in general, one of the fears that really holds people back, I believe, is fearing pain and they're fearing pain because they think that 
if they have that pain, they're never going to recover from it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and just understanding that, first of all, we've all survived. (laughs) None of us escape without trauma, you know, this human experience. So we've all experienced pain and, you know, we've all made it through that pain. And as we get older and as we get stronger and as we get more tools for coping with that pain in a productive way, you're able to heal so much faster yeah. Um, and it's not, it's not everything. It's not, you know, the relationship falls apart and it doesn't feel like the end of the world. It feels like the end of the relationship and that may be sad and you mourn the end of it, but it's not everything. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, we have to do the work on ourselves first, try to become the wholest, most healed version of ourselves before we go out into the world and try to find a mate, you know, because yes. it's not fair to them either, right? Because, you know, you bring your stuff to the relationship. So the more yes. we can work on ourselves, the more likely we are to have, you know, a healthy, happy outcome. Absolutely. Yeah. We are co-creators of our relationships. And it's such an important thing to remember, even when your relationships are highly dysfunctional. And even when it feels like it's all the other person's fault, Mm -hmm. (laughs) we still have a role to play. Well, I want to say congratulations on achieving your goal because you found a nice boyfriend. It doesn't matter that, you know, he's not your, the love of your life. You're together forever. Cause you weren't even looking for, were you really looking for that at that point? I was looking for, you know, a lovely relationship, somebody to to be with, to enjoy life with. And the guy that I ended up meeting, he has a daughter around the same age as my daughter. And even though he and I aren't together anymore, our girls are still good friends. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, and that's the other thing too. You know, it's like what I was saying earlier. It's not just about you know, finding a new boyfriend or girlfriend. It's letting new people into your life, into your circle. And when when you go through a divorce, a lot of times people pick sides. So you lose friends, you lose some of your in-laws sometimes, Mm -hmm. right? You need to to rebuild and bring new people in. And it's scary in the beginning. And really scary. You know, and and I think there's a tendency the older we get, the more closed off and and less likely we are to want to embrace change. And we need to do the opposite, actually. We need to really throw in on change. Yeah, yep, agreed. I totally agree. Well, and also I think, you know, the the process of dating, like I said, and you said, it's like it's an important process and it's not about it's going to work out with every person that you date. I mean, I guess it goes that way for some people. (laughs) Certainly not for me. (laughs) Um, I wonder, I mean, I was thinking when I first, you know, read about your book, I was like, I wonder how many dates I've been on. I mean, I could not Hmm. count. There's no way, but it's far more than a (laughs) hundred. It took me far more than a hundred dates to meet. Well, how many, how many years when you look on your adult life, have you been dating? So, well, that I was actively dating and yeah. even, and not in a relationship. Mm-hmm. I would say, oh gosh, I gotta do math now. Okay, I'm 45. I would say, so adult life, we're gonna say from 18. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh, so much math. Uh, probably like 17 years, like 15 years. That's probably. a lot of dates. It's That's a, a lot, lot of dates. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't actively dating all of that time, especially like when I, like when I was in college, I basically, I didn't date. I I was just at a very like antisocial phase of life. So that's four years down the drain. Um, (laughs) No, it was, you know, I was one of those people who I was very social all of my life 
until I went to college. Like, you know, when I was mm-hmm. in high school, like I had so many friends, junior high, like, and, um, and I grew up in New York City and we used to go out all the time because back then, you know, nobody carded you. And so even though we were children, <laughs> we used to like go out dancing and like go to clubs. I did all of that. So when, by the time I got to college, I was like, I don't know, like the kinds of things that people thought were fun. I was like, this is lame. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're like getting drunk off of like a keg. Like, I don't know. I was just like, it wasn't my scene. And so it was just a good opportunity for me to just turn really inward, which I did. So I was an athlete for half of college. I rode crew, which was very time consuming. And I was a really good student. So I basically, if I wasn't studying in class or at practice, I was asleep (laughs) pretty much. Um, I'm not mad at it. It was good for me. That time in my life was not an easy time, but- Anyway, all of this, a very long segue, is to say that I wasn't actively dating all of those years, but in terms of years that I was actively dating, it's probably at least 10. At least no, 10. And, you, yeah. and you start to learn. There's, there's a learning curve. Oh, absolutely. Oh, and, yeah. And it gets easier. Yeah, it gets, I mean, I started out, I had no idea I was a terrible dater. I didn't know how to flirt. I didn't know how to read signals. I didn't know how to tell who was like serious and not. I, I, I was terrible. And then I got really good. <laughs> and you're a good listener. Like that's one thing I've noticed about you. And, you know, thank you. When, and when you date, if you just hang back and listen, and, and I think as a writer, it's really fascinating to listen to the stories that people will tell you about themselves. Like, yes. you know, dating is a lot about storytelling, right? It's like, if you really, you know, zero in on the first and second stories that people tell you about themselves, they're really revealing. Oh, that's interesting. You know, it's <laughs> kind of fascinating. I'm trying to think of a good example of an early story, but it's, it's a natural thing that goes back and forth, right? Usually there's a story from childhood in there, right? For like on the first date, the first or second story. Yeah. Or like, you know, on the first date, often people will talk about where they grew up and how they grew up. And there's usually like a little story in there, right? There usually is. I, I mean, like I said, I got to be like a really good dater. Part of what made me good at dating. The reason I say I was good at dating is because I figured out how to make dating very fun. And so I actually didn't typically have too many of those, like, where'd you grow up? I mean, I would ask people where they grew up because that's interesting, but mm-hmm. like, I, I would try to shy away from too much of the typical, especially on a first date. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to have like really boring conversations that you've had with, you know, a million other people. But I do, yeah. I mean, listen, I've had men cry on first dates with me because they're telling me some story about like their dad or something. So, oh, um, <laughs> which is always awkward. Yeah. <laughs> the first time it happened, I was like, wow, he's actually crying. And the second time it happened, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening again. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Um, I mean, but yeah. but kind of cool that he's comfortable enough in your presence to be that vulnerable. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was kind of cool. I mean, it definitely felt like a lot, you know, like, wow, maybe you shouldn't have gone down that road and that deeply if it's, you know, but I didn't judge them. I was just like, oh, this is more just like, wow, this is really interesting. People are just fascinating to me. So agree. I think what people choose to share is absolutely very revealing. And I think even just looking at you know, dating profiles. That's always fascinating to me. I'm like, wow, you had 200 characters to talk about yourself and that's what you chose to say? <laughs> you know, I actually just went on Hinge a couple days ago and I put a little time into my profile, but I really think in the end, people pay attention to the pictures more than anything. 
They just look at the pictures. Well, you know what? I mean, this is a whole other conversation. It just depends on what your goal is. If your goal is to get as many matches as you want as, as possible and go on lots of dates, then it's fine not to put much effort into your profile. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking for something serious, the people who are also looking for something serious are much more likely to overlook you if you don't, because they're not just looking for somebody who's, I mean, like you're a beautiful woman, like you never have any trouble getting dates and getting lots of matches, but it's about the quality. It's not about the quantity. So you're right. Um, Cause it only so, takes one, right? If you it, want a relationship, yeah. it only takes one. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, for all of my clients, when, you know, we redo their profiles and we make them a little bit more in depth, a little bit more. Do you make them more buttoned up? Like a little less skin and a little more proper looking? In terms of if you were very revealing photos and you're looking for something serious, that's not a great plan. Mm-hmm. But more what I'm seeing is just very generic profiles. It's like looking at this, the only thing that I see about you is that you're like cute and fun. Mm-hmm. And that is a perfectly great profile if you're looking for fun and looking for people who are, you know, also looking for fun. But if you're looking for something more than that, then it's unlikely to be. I think successful. you're right. I think I better go update it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's time to update it. Yeah. I was looking for my person. I, I am right. <laughs> you, are right. you are right. No, I mean, I, I did say I was looking for a serious relationship. So I did that right. And I have no idea. I haven't seen your profile, but I'm happy to take a look at it for you. Um, Yeah, it's just about like, you know, even in a short amount of time, you can still just convey something. Most profiles are so generic. Even the photos are are cliched. Like, I don't care. I'm not offended by a sexy photo necessarily. I am offended by a totally cliched photo. So like everything- What is a cliche? Everything. One big issue that I see, this is, and I'm talking mostly about straight women here because that's Mm -hmm. mostly who I work with. And one big thing that I see is a lot of women who have pictures that are very, I call them Mm Instagram-y. So it's like a picture and it's a great background and it's more about the background and maybe you've got like sunglasses on and maybe, you know, you're traveling and it's great to have travel photos, but the pictures are, those pictures are very generic. Like everybody has photos like that. And it doesn't tell me anything of your personality. So even just a very small change, like first of no um, sunglasses, <laughs> you know, very yeah. basic thing. No Show sunglasses. The eyes, right? So much is conveyed through the eyes. Show the eyes. It's not about the background, especially like your first photo. It should really be a picture of you. It should convey something of your personality. It should be up close. It should be you smiling into the camera. I mean, it sounds so simple you know, oh, that's not going to make a difference online, but it actually does. Um, well, and you know, I still love the guys who have their exes in the photos with them. Okay, you were in the minority on that. <laughs> Most have... women do not like that. <laughs> no, no, I'm saying I hate it. I mean, I can't believe it. Oh, I mean, oh, I thought you no, said no, you no, liked no. it. I was like, oh, Holly, no, we got to no, no. <laughs> no, I'm like, what is this guy doing? Or even just get proper pictures. Yeah, it's bad. Well, you know... Most men are really terrible at getting the photo situation together. I mean, but most people are because most people are just repurposing the photos they already have. And I don't Mm -hmm. think that you should do that. I mean, it's fine to have like, you know, a few supplemental photos that are like, you know, you doing your favorite activity. And if Mm -hmm. you have a photo like that and, you know, whatever, but in terms of your primary photos, I believe that you should take them specifically for online dating. 
So I agree. you should if you take can new pictures. If you a photographer or get your friend to spend a Saturday morning with you taking a bunch of pictures, you should do it because it's, yeah. it's an investment. Yeah, exactly. And other than um, there is, I'm going to give a big shout out to Hey Saturday, which is a dating photography company. And they started in London, but now they're all over the UK and they're in the US mm. in New York, in Austin, in LA, somewhere else I think that I'm blanking on in the States. But other than Hey Saturday, because I love their photos, their photos are very, they're very lightly retouched. So they're very natural. They're mm -hmm. very editorial. They shoot outside. So there's like lots of natural light. So those photos are fantastic. In general, I don't think that people should use professional photos unless they're Hey Saturday because when it looks like a studio photo and it looks like it's, you know, retouched and everything, I don't think that's a good idea. Personally, I don't recommend it. I think it's better just to put on an outfit that you feel really good in, get some good natural lighting. Like you said, get a friend and just get together and just be prepared to take a lot of pictures until you get one where you're really feeling comfortable and your real personality is coming through. I think that's right. I mean, in the end, we have to tell the truth, right? Tell the yes. truth about what we look like, what our spirit is, mm -hmm. tell the truth about our age. Otherwise, yeah. Yeah, you're wasting who you are. your own time <laughs> and other people's. Absolutely. You're not, you're not going to meet your person if you're not even showing who you really are. Like that's just not, it's not going to happen. I encountered that when I was writing the book where people would, you know, say online that they were divorced only to find out that they were still married or separated. I mean, even that is a, is a big deal because getting divorced is a legal process. It's also an emotional process. So if you're mm -hmm. still, if you're just separated or if you are still living under the same roof with your spouse, that's probably not somebody you want to be dating. Yeah, well, and certainly it's, um, I mean, I can't say that there's never a situation where, as a good rule of thumb, yes, I agree with you. <laughs> um, and any kind of misrepresentation when people are misrepresenting themselves in, in any way online, I just, uh, I just don't think that that's a good sign. But it takes vulnerability. Even mm -hmm. a very small thing, like, you know, when I have people take away all of their like really cute Instagrammy photos where they look like sexy and cool, but also kind of like aloof and also like the picture isn't really about them. The picture is mm -hmm. about, you know, the background or the cool drink that they're holding or whatever. I, I get met with a lot of resistance for that sometimes. Just to have a picture that's just their beautiful face looking into the camera, smiling, that feels very vulnerable for some people. It's like, oh, wait. But it immediately changes the kinds of matches that they get. And I actually have one friend who I, I forced her to change her, her hinge or her, you know, Bumble or whatever profile to this photo of her that I loved. And it was just so, it was just her up close and her like smiling face. And she, mm -hmm. it was just a really beautiful photo of her. And, um, she is a special case, um, but she basically was like, oh my God, ever since I changed my picture, I'm getting all of these guys who are like, wow, you just look like such an amazing person. And I can just huh. like, she was getting like all of these kinds of, but that's not her style. So she was like, I don't want to go out with a guy who thinks that he can see like that I'm a beautiful person. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> what am I going to do with you? So she oh. literally went back to her like, sexy more aloof photos because that's the kind of guy she's into she's into like the guy who's also sexy and aloof so you gotta know what you want <laughs> you know i've never i hadn't really drilled down on it that much in you know in that level of detail i haven't been dating you know using apps for a few years i, I just ended up meeting a lot of people in my real life and um decided it was time to to give it a try again so the apps are getting better 
Yeah. I mean, like they're tools. So it's all about how mm-hmm. you use them, you know? So you, it's not about just doing what the technology encourages you to do. It's about actually being intentional and having the right strategy. And then they're, they're an awesome tool. But speaking of the, the boyfriend that you did meet during your year, where did you meet him? I actually met him. Yeah. I met him on Tinder. Oh, okay. Awesome. Um, but then, you know, since then, you know, and I've been many years have passed, I was in a two-year relationship with somebody. And I actually met this guy through a woman that I met on one of my nights out where I've said, I'm not going to stay home alone. And I met this lovely woman who became a friend of mine. And one day she texted me and said, oh, you know, I just thought of somebody for you. I think you guys would really hit it off. Can I set you guys up on a blind date? Oh my gosh. Sure enough. I'm going to make all of my clients listen to this episode and that story. Yeah, <laughs> this is what I'm always not just about the, the guy at the bar. It's your network and it's, it's your, your network. girlfriend. Yep. I met another guy a few months ago. I was traveling and you know, he, you know, he made it known that he wanted to date me. And I, and I said, you know, I, I don't think I, I'm really interested in you. And I mean, I, it came out smoother than that. I, I did it gently. <laughs> and then finally he looked at me and he goes, you know what? I think you'd be better off with my best friend. And he's like, can I set you up with my best friend? So you oh, just never amazing. know. You never know. This is, yeah, I'm, I'm always preaching this. It's like, you could literally go to a supermarket and you could talk to the woman in line behind you and she could be like, oh, have you tried that new restaurant that's opened up, blah, blah, blah. And you'd be like, no, I didn't know it opened up. And then you could wind up going to that restaurant months later and meet your husband. Like literally that kind of thing happens all the time. And I'm just, I'm, I'm a big advocate of just, if you are truly ready to have connection in your life. And then it's about embracing connection wherever you can find it and just being open to serendipity because it's a real thing. So I'm so happy. I love that story. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, and I think the other side of it too is sure, there's going to be some awkward situations. It's going to be messy sometimes. It's not always going to be, you know, super romantic and fun. There's that too. But if you accept that there's going to be a little bit of awkward and it's not going to kill you. You're going to have a great time. Yes. Yes. Agreed. It's okay. If we can just deal with being uncomfortable, like, oh, okay, this is awkward. So is everyone else. Everyone's going to be fine. Um, Exactly. (laughs) Everyone is going to be fine. I want to, I have a few more questions for you, but I guess one thing I want to know is like, what is your dream of what people will take away from your book? Like your intention behind it, obviously, you know, you were documenting your journey, but I guess if you could imagine like the ideal fan mail, right? Like the person who reads your book and is just like, it just speaks to them. Like what, what would that look like? What do you want people to get from it? Well, I think I want the people who read my book to come to see that no matter what life throws you, whether it be a divorce or heartbreak or some kind of loss, not to think that you're best days are over. To have this unwavering faith that your best days can be ahead of you. And they can even be in this moment right now if we choose to see the gift, you know, the the blessing of the day and what we have right in front of us. And I think what happens to people too is as we age, I was in my 40s when my second divorce happened. I just thought, oh, my life has passed me by. And so... I hope that people who read my book will, first of all, have a good laugh because there's a lot of comedy in there, but also come away with a lot of hope and especially want women to come away with the sense that Polly can do it. I can do it too. And and I can do anything. I can travel the world. I can take charge of my social life. I can 
you know, live with intention and live without shame. I mean, it doesn't matter how many times we try to find love and if it doesn't work out, it's okay. You know, I, I felt so ashamed of my second divorce. You know, I felt like it was such a failure. And then I came to understand that so many people end up staying in relationships and living lives that are not true to who they are and what they really need because they're afraid of what other people will think of them. Their families will, the judgment. So if people can start to maybe look at themselves and if it encourages people to make honest change in their own life, then I will be thrilled. Yes, I love that. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, I'm sure that your book will definitely inspire people to start to look at their lives with less judgment and more optimism. So that's that's really beautiful. And everybody's trying to do their best, you know? Everybody's oh, yeah. trying. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's all we can do. We don't have any ability to do better than what we can do at the moment and at the time. And if we want to do better in the future, we got to give ourselves a break so we can actually (laughs) do better in the future, right? (laughs) And not stay stuck beating yourself up and stuck in shame, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm so glad that you went on this journey. And I would have asked you, you know, how are you different than when you embarked on that journey? But I think you've already done a really good job of articulating that. So, but I do have one more question for you. Okay. And this is a question that I ask all of my guests. And the question is about love. So if you had a megaphone that was loud enough to send one message to the world about love, and you kind of do because you have a book. <laughs> um, um, but just one message, just one message, what would that message be? It's loud enough for everyone to hear. We all need work on love. Mm. And it's funny because that is the epigraph of my book. And that was uttered by my brilliant eight or nine-year-old daughter at the time. She said, you know, mom, we all need work on love. At every stage in our lives, we can can do better. We can love ourselves more. We can love our our fellow humans a little better. Yeah. What I like about that is that love is, it is obviously, it's so fundamental to who we all are as humans. And I truly believe that love is our birthright, but it's not just a set and forget it thing. Like love is a verb, right? So it's about taking action. It's about growing deeper. It's about learning to love yourself more so you can become more connected with others. I, I like that. That's really good. Thank you, Holly. Well, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. So your book, so Would It Kill You to Put on Some Lipstick by Holly Martin. Everybody check out this book. It'll make you laugh. It'll make you think. And it might inspire you to take control of your love life in a way that hasn't hurt you before. So I will, of course, be sure to link to the book and to your social media in the show notes, Holly. But is there anything else that you want my listeners to know about? Well, you know what? I've started to work on my second book. And my second book is about solo travel as a woman or different places around the world, showing up in new countries and just unscripted and seeing what happens. And I'm working on telling the stories of the people that I meet on the road. And, you know, there's a little little bit of a romantic element in it because, of course, when you're traveling, you're always meeting interesting men. But it's less about dating and it's more about stories from the road. So that's my that's going to be my next project. Amazing. That's, I love that. I've traveled all around the world and at least a third of my travel has been on my own. And I love it. I, I think that nothing for me, nothing has given me more confidence mm-hmm. and given me more of an ability to just 
shift my perspective on my own life than traveling. I'm a huge fan of it. I'm a little bit lazy about it now. Not as adventurous as I used to be. <laughs> no, that's yes. when our best ideas, our best growth happens. It makes it, I, at least for me, it makes me come alive, right? Different food, yes. scenery, people, mm-hmm. maybe a little discomfort too is good. Oh, so much discomfort. Oh my God. So much discomfort. Oh, I've had, I, you know, I could tell you stories. We'll do another episode about travel. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, but that's the thing. That's well for me, that's why travel has given me confidence because I've been in so many situations where it's like, I don't speak the language. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what to do right now. I'm stranded in this place. I can't. How am I going to get out of this? Like I've been in so many of those situations. I have no money because I did most, I did a lot of travel in my starting in college and 20s where I was just really, really, really broke. Like I think back on it now and I'm like, I should not have taken that trip with like oh like like a hundred dollars to last oh, I did for like crazy stuff like ended up having to hitchhike on a highway on the outskirts of Cairo like what oh, was I thinking but I didn't yeah. have any money yeah exactly so I've been in those situations but not that we're endorsing that no, everyone disclaimer not. here no exactly. but no you know come with a little bit of extra cash on. yes have some extra cash have a safety net guys don't do what we did but my point is that for me being in those situations and not and those are extreme ones, but even ones that are just like, I have to, you know, figure out how to order food and I can't speak the language and the people are glaring at me or like, you know, back before smartphones, like I am so lost those types of moments. And just, yeah, like we figured it out. We figured it out. Like we actually figured it out. And that is where you get confidence. It's like, wow, I had a challenge. I figured it out. And mm-hmm. now maybe I'm more capable than I thought I was. So Definitely. Just like dating. It's the same journey. It's the same journey. Like, wow, this used to be really, really hard for me. And like now it's something I can actually enjoy and look forward to. So exactly. um, And all those dating skills, they serve you in your relationship. So everybody out there, it's going to help your relationship when you get into that relationship, be better, more fulfilling and last longer if you work on yourself before you get into it. So Yes, absolutely. Amen. I am a living testament to that. Oh, Holly, thank you so very much. It's been great talking to you. And those of you listening, please be sure to check out the show notes for links so you can stay in touch with Holly and you can grab your own copy of Would It Kill You to Put On Some Lipstick. Thanks, Franny. (laughs) Talk to you soon. Take care. And there you have it, my conversation with Holly Martin. I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. How many dates have you gone on in your lifetime? I'm still trying to figure out that number for myself, but you know, not that it really matters anymore, but it was a lot. And uh, I just wanted to also make sure that you guys know, of course, check the show notes for more information about Holly and how to connect with her. You can also check the show notes for how to connect with me. I am at Dear Franny on all social media. The podcast is at Dear Franny Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. I love hearing from you guys, so don't be shy. I also want to let you know that I am still offering pay what you can coaching sessions. So if you are trying to figure out what your next steps are during this pandemic, whether it's professionally, whether it's about dating, or whether you're just wondering how to deal with the feelings of social isolation, I am offering these pay what you can sessions and there's a limited number of them each week, but you are 
more than welcome to sign up. I will have a link to that in the show notes. And if you are at a place where you're thinking, hmm, maybe this is a time for me to do some deeper work and to figure out some things that I haven't been able to so far about why I haven't been able to find the love that I'm looking for or why I haven't been able to just live the life that I want to live and have the lifestyle that I want to have and you're interested in talking about coaching, as always, I am offering free coaching discovery sessions. So that is another option for you to connect with me and to get some support and to get a little sample of what coaching is like. There's also a link to sign up for that session in the show notes. And um, for those of you who may not know, I am also a sound healing practitioner. I took my passion for sound baths and decided to learn how to facilitate them myself. And I have been conducting some virtual sound baths via Zoom and they are free. It is my gift to my community. If you are interested in experiencing a sound bath, if you are interested in experiencing my sound bath, then also check the show notes to see where you can RSVP for the next sound bath. They are free, but there is still limited space available on Zoom. So I do need everyone to RSVP ahead of time. And um, that's it. That's all I got. And for those of you who have taken the time to rate the podcast five stars, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. And to write a review, I appreciate you so much. And even if you haven't done that, I still appreciate you for listening. And if you are inspired, if you are enjoying this podcast and you want to show me some love, I would appreciate a five-star review and, you know, always subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. I've got some great interviews coming up. Even though the world is crazy, the podcast goes on and love is still the most important thing. And it is the thing that is going to save us all. So I love you. Thank you for so much for listening wherever you are in the world please stay safe stay healthy look out for each other stay connected to each other and have a beautiful day